Hello listeners, Dominic Korea, Justice Tech Pros Podcast. Welcome to Courts in Session, a special series that I'm going to be rolling out on this channel. Today will be volume one of the Courts in Session series. And for today's volume, we are going to be... What I wanted to do when I came up with this series is give the listeners a bit of an interactive feel. Whereas they're put in the courtroom based on having somebody read a transcript, make it a little engaging... Uh, so this is really just about sitting back, listening to different uh, transcripts that are going to be read, showing the different players involved during that testimony, and just give the listeners a little inside look of what goes on in the courtroom. For Volume 1, we're going to be focusing on a section of a trial. The trial was the United States of America against Matthew Madonna, Stephen O'Crea, Christopher Londonio, and Terrence Caldwell. Uh, this trial was based in White Plains, New York, out of the New York Southern District, and the trial began on October 2nd, 2019. Now, the testimony we're going to hear today took place on October 15th, 2019, and this testimony is the cross-examination of a government witness who is an FBI agent by the name of Agent Pappas. Agent Pappas was an undercover agent for this case, and he was working directly with one of the uh, informants involved on this case. The informant he was working directly with was named Robert Spinelli, an individual named Robert Spinelli. And we're going to sit back and we're going to listen to this testimony. Um, What you're going to hear is the cross-examination of of Agent Pappas uh, from the defense attorney Robert Franklin. He was the lead defense attorney for Stephen O'Crea. And he's going to be cross-examining Agent Pappas. And it will give you a little snapshot of what goes on in the dynamic between the agent and the informant, what they talk about, and a little insight as to how that develops and um, how they communicate with one another and how they try to target individuals and how they set up certain uh, scenarios. Uh, I'm going to let the transcript speak for itself. I just wanted to set the stage for it. Uh, This case was presided over by uh, Judge Kathy Seibel. I believe you'll also hear some sections with the prosecution during this uh, reading of the transcript. Uh, You'll hear some um, objections and whatnot. But the main characters involved in this transcript are Defense Attorney Robert Franklin and Agent Pappas. So sit back and I hope you enjoy Volume 1 of Courts in Session. Agent, my name is Robert Franklin. I represent Steve Korea. The tape that we listened to in the transcript, that was, you said it was the first or the second time you had met Mr. Ditello? Yes, I think it was the second time. Very early on. Correct. And from using this date of August 18th, 2014, you worked on this case for how many years after that? Until they took the case down in 2017. And during that period of time, you said you had met with Mr. Ditello approximately 50 times? including our telephonic conversations that were recorded. When you said you met 50 times, some kind of contact, either a phone call or an actual meeting? Correct. And on the actual meetings, you were always with Mr. Spinelli? Not always. Now, in this particular call, August 18th, the person wearing a recording device is Mr. Spinelli? I think we both are. Oh, you both were. This is the same. Okay, this transcript is made from your recording device or his recording device? 
My understanding is that this is from my device. Did you ever listen to the recording that came from Mr. Spinelli's device? I can't recall. It's been so long. I'm not sure if I have. Physically, how far apart were the three of you during this conversation? We were very close. I guess a lot closer than maybe one feet, two feet apart, tops. You would assume whatever was recorded on yours would have been recorded on Mr. Spinelli's as well? I wouldn't assume anything. But he was just... You said he was just feet from Mr. Ditello. Yeah, but sometimes the placement of the device, the noise that comes from outside... I'm not a technical expert, but sometimes things record a little differently on one device versus another, regardless of proximity. Okay, that was what I was asking. So you didn't listen to both, so he just took yours, as far as you understand it? Yes. Yours may not have been the best recording as to some of it, but this is what we have. I cannot answer that question. Do you know if Mr. Spinelli's was listened to by anybody else and transcribed? I am pretty positive that the case agents listened to both recordings. And is this transcript a compilation or a combination of the two or just from one or the other? I think it's only from mine. This is based on my understanding and I may be the wrong person to be answering that question. Okay, when you first read this, how much after the event of August 18th did you read this transcript? So I've heard of the recordings when it was made, so maybe a week after the meeting, and I read the transcript only recently. So this happens on August 18th when it's recorded. Approximately a week thereafter, you listen to the tape again? My tape. And then five years later, you actually read the transcript? Yes. When you read the transcript, did you listen to the tape at the same time? Not at... Yes, I did. It appears to be correct as far as you can tell? Absolutely, yeah. There are some sections that say UI, meaning it's unintelligible. You couldn't hear it on the tape? Right. So, Mr. Spinelli, whether it's your tape recorder, Mr. Spinelli, the two you know that the conversation is being taped, but Mr. Ditello does not. Correct. And you were pretending to be someone who's going to get involved in a drug deal of some sort? Yes, sir. You said this was, you believe, the second time you met him. When was the first time in relation to this event? How far back? I think it was probably four to five days earlier at Mr. Ditello's home. Was that meeting tape recorded? Yes. And who, besides yourself and Mr. Ditello, who else was there? Mr. Spinelli. He made the introduction. It was the three of you again? Yes. And when you said he made the introduction, how were you described? How were you introduced to Mr. Ditello? So, I portrayed a street guy who had a trucking business, access to a network, cash, and ability to provide cigarettes and also purchase and move large quantities of drugs. That's how I was introduced by Mr. Spinelli. Assuming it's four or five days before the August 18th, you're still in the beginning of August. At some point before that, did Mr. Spinelli or somebody else tell Mr. Ditello, Oh, I'm going to introduce you to somebody I know. He runs a trucking company, something like that. Or is this the very first time when you actually meet him? My understanding is that Mr. Spinelli, he was throwing my name to Mr. Ditello and others. I think after he got back on the street, so in 2013. So I think my name was probably out there way before the introduction. Okay, and then we can assume at some point close in time to this, he says, Remember I told you about so-and-so? Well, he's around now, or he has money, something like that. What was the excuse for setting up that first meeting? I don't remember of an excuse. The reason, maybe I used the wrong word. Were you there to say, oh, I'm going to meet you, I do have money or I have contacts? What was the reason for the very first meeting? 
I think it was a very casual meeting, and I remember Mr. Spinelli saying, Hey, you remember this guy that I was talking to you about? We've been working together. I've been doing pretty well. He's here. Maybe we can stop by. Something in terms of that vaguely. He was sort of vouching for you that he had already done deals with you and they had been successful. Yes. Did he say that they were drug deals? Drugs and cigarettes? I don't remember, or I do not know what Mr. Spinelli had told him. But when you saw Mr. Detello, the two things that you might do a deal with him involved drugs and untaxed cigarettes? So, is that correct? Could you repeat that? Sure. I think you said that the two things that you were pretending that you could help him with was a drug deal and or an untaxed cigarette deal of some sort. Well, so not exactly. When I met with Mr. Detello, all I did was provide, tell him that I am somebody from out of state. I am doing different things, and I am looking to expand to New York. I was looking for contacts, at which time Mr. Detello mentioned that he's got some contacts to make the introductions. I also told Mr. Detello that I don't want to step on anybody's toes and have any problems with the wise guys. And Mr. Detello responded, Don't worry, you're with me. And the drug portion of it. There were going to be kilos of, you said, cocaine? Cocaine and heroin. We end up doing a cocaine deal. So you talked to him about cocaine and heroin. So I told him about, is that right? Yes. And you were talking in terms of kilos of either cocaine or heroin? Yes, sir. Do if you know approximately the price at this time of a kilo of cocaine and how much if you were going to purchase it. Street price, 45 to 48. Wholesale price, about 30, 35,000, depending on quality. What would be the price for a kilo of heroin? Probably 70,000 per kilo, if I remember correctly. Almost twice as much? Twice as much. So the profit you could make from a, that you anticipated from a kilo of cocaine would be how much? Didn't calculate a profit. My profit or Mr. Detello's profit? Mr. Detello's profit. You're telling him you could do this deal and he, I assume, wants to know how much money can I make. Was there a discussion about that? Yes. So the discussion was that if it's for a kilo of cocaine, depending on the quality, that he can get me and the price of that product, a fee would be $1,000. And if he wanted to do a little more, he could drive the product, meet me halfway, by doing so crossing state lines, making an additional thousand and a half. So two and a half thousand dollars for a kilo of cocaine at street price value, not wholesale. And would that be generally the same price you told him you'd pay him if it were cocaine? What's the difference? Were you going to pay the same whether it was cocaine or heroin? I don't think we went into that much detail, especially during those first meetings. So you were going to be acting as the buyer and he was going to find a seller for you? Is that how it was structured? So I was the buyer. He already had a seller, Mr. Gomez, a person who had done business with. In fact, prior to my appearance, he had mentioned that about a month earlier, he had two kilos of, I think it was heroin, that he couldn't sell. He had to return back to Mr. Gomez. So Mr. Detello is the middleman. He's sort of the broker, putting you, the buyer, together with the seller, Mr. Gomez. That's what you're saying. That's my understanding. For that, he would get $1,000, or he might get more than 1000 that generally what the deal was? Yeah, so during the very early meetings, we only spoke about compensation of $1,000 to $2,000, but the plan was to do something in a much larger scale, where it would be a percentage of the profits as opposed to a fixed price. And did those deals ever take place? No. So, the very large ones, no. And what was the profit he was going to make on the untaxed cigarettes? How did that work, and how much money might be made in that sort of deal? 
Well, I think that a carton of cigarettes in New York is over $100. I would sell the carton for $35 each, and then he could make anywhere in between. You were selling single cartons of cigarettes. That's what this is about? No, it was a single carton in cases. So I would sell them by the carton, but it was with a case. The court. A carton, just so we're clear. A smoker has a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. A carton is... The witness. 20 packs. The court. 20 packs. And a case is... A case is, I think, 40 cartons, I think. The court. Okay, thanks. Mr. Franklin. I was just getting there. Thank you, judge. I'm not a smoker. There's 20 packs in a carton. Right. And then what you believe there are 40 cartons in a... The court. Case. Case. A case. Right. So that would be 800 packs? Yes. And if it was, so the case would. The potential profit from a case would be how much? He could easily double his money. Assuming that he purchased each carton for 35, he could sell it for 70. The street price was $100. So I think he could easily double his money. In that instance, he's actually becoming the buyer of these illegal. You're bringing him the illegal cigarettes. He's buying them from you, and then he's going to resell them. Is that how that was going to go? Yes. Okay. Did you find it odd that someone would be dealing in kilos of cocaine or kilos of heroin and also be interested in selling untaxed cigarettes? Objection, Your Honor. Overruled. Did I find it odd? Not really, because Mr. Ditello didn't have a job. He had a lot of contacts, and he was on Social Security making $1,200 a month. An opportunity to go to contacts that he already knew and make an easy two to $3,000? It wasn't odd. It was the right thing to do. Okay, considering his financial condition? Absolutely. Okay, now this particular tape in this meeting you said was the first time and second time you met him, and you spent a lot of time with him afterwards. When you meet someone as an undercover the first or second time, you're just beginning. Is it part of your job to determine if the person is credible, is believable, as to what they're saying to you? Is it my job? My job is to take information that I am getting from the target, the subject, the person that I'm sitting down with and provide that information to the case agents to make that determination. And some of the information are the words that he actually says that you're able to tape record. Is that correct? Yes. And some of the information does not appear on the tape. It may be an observation that you have about the person. Isn't that true? True, yes. Is part of the information that you're looking for as to whether the person carries a gun, let's say, on a regular basis? Yes. You also want to know their size. Are they physically imposing? Is he a small person or something of those nature, correct? Yes. And is also part of it to determine if what they're telling you appears to be truthful? Correct. So you're doing, the tape recording is going on. You don't have to do anything. It's on. It's tape recording, correct? Correct. The other things you which you can take from your own five senses. That's the other part of your job, to see how he's behaving, his size and the things we just discussed, correct? Not part of my job. It's part of what every person in this room would do when they meet someone. So it's nothing special I do. But you're sizing him up. There are points of time when you said you're alone with him, correct? Yes. And do you have backup if you have a problem to say, come and save me? I do have a backup. So your own personal safety is certainly an issue for you, isn't it? I'm a law enforcement officer. It's always an issue. Right. And then one of the things you're trying to determine, who is this person? Can I trust him in a variety of different ways, correct? While I'm engaging with a person like Mr. Ditello, I'm aware of the risk that I'm taking, and it's a risk that I'm getting paid to take. Okay, 
To minimize that risk or to assess that risk appropriately, the more information you can take in about that person and their habits and their behavior is better for you. Isn't that true? Of course. So are you familiar with the phrase a linear thinker? Do you know that phrase? Yes. Or a chronological thinker, a person who describes an event and then the next one and the next one in chronological order? That's what I'm referring to. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can understand. I can follow. I'm not exactly. Okay, did you find that Mr. Ditello was a linear or a chronological thinker in the manner in which he would talk to you? That sounds like a scientific question. Okay, well, let me ask it a different way. If he's sitting there talking to you about an event that happened yesterday, let's say, and then he immediately goes to something that happened 10 years before, and then he immediately goes over to something that happened that he's talking about may happen in the future, did you find he went back and forth in time in discussing things with you? So since I didn't know Mr. Ditello for too long, and I've only met him once or twice, I couldn't normalize him to see whether or not this is consistent with his personality and his behavior. But during the course of this transaction and that which we have on tape, he did give you some dates when things occurred. He did mention some dates, correct? And he also gave you some events that had occurred in his life. He said he was in jail. He was in prison at a different time. And those had dates on them, correct? Correct. Now, before you either met him this time or previously, had you done any background check on him as to his age, when he might have been in prison? Any public records that you could determine as to who this person is? Did you do any research on him in any fashion? Research of this person was provided to me by the case agents who had the case. I knew some of the very basics as to who Mr. Ditello was and how he fit into the Lucchese family. And did you know what kind of work he had done before you had met him in 2014? You referring to the construction business that he referred to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know he had been in construction? I knew that people who work for this type of organization, a lot of them are involved in construction, but I did not know exactly what he did. I'm asking specifically about Mr. Ditello. At one point in this tape, he says, I was in the drywall business. Do you remember that? Do you remember hearing that on the tape? I do remember, yes. And before he said that to you on August 18, 2014, did you already know that he had been in the drywall industry? I did not know. And when he told you that he had been in jail, I think he said in prison three times, or had he been arrested three times, were you aware of that before you met him this time? I was aware of two times that he was in prison. And did you know the dates of his, of those three different imprisonments? I only knew the dates of the two imprisonments. Which two did you know of? So, the one that took place between 2001 and 2006, when his partner turned FBI informant, and the second time is short thereafter when he, Mr. Ditello, mentioned that he served an additional 21 months for something that he didn't do. And the second crime for which he did 21 months, when was that supposedly committed, if you know? I think between 2006 and 2008, based on the statement. Now, with respect to the... Uh, you said 2001 and 2006... Was it your understanding that he was released from prison sometime in 2006 for some crime that was committed prior to that? My understanding is that his partner turned informant back in 2000. In 2001, he served time, and I think he got out around 2006. Okay, and for that particular imprisonment, did you know that... Well, withdrawn. Besides having those landmarks for prison time for him, did you also know some of the people that he might be talking about, such as my client, Steve Korea? Could you repeat the question? Sure. You're meeting this man. This is the second time or first. You've done some background. You have a sense. You knew he went to prison. You weren't sure what kind of work he had done. 
Now, I want to ask you about if you knew any of his associates, or people that he was friendly with, people he had worked with, or people he had been to prison with. That is what I am getting at. So I have, just to explain, in connection with that at the time of the meeting, did you know that he was a friend or had been in prison with my client, Steve Korea? Yes, I had information based on access to FBI files, since I'm an FBI agent. But the information provided by Mr. Detello during the meeting, it was nothing more than the first names of his friends. That's exactly what I was getting at. So, using my client, Mr. Korea, as the example, at some point in this transcript, he talks about a Stevie. Did you assume it was Mr. Korea, or did you think it might be somebody else? Did you have enough information to understand who he was referring to? That's what I'm getting at. So I have enough context in this conversation to draw a logical conclusion that the Stevie that he was referring to highly likely is Mr. Steve Korea. And at the time when this recording was made, did you also know that my client, Steve Korea, has a son by the name of Stephen Korea? I was not aware of that family member. Alright, let me, however, if I may, sure, please finish. The reason I made the logical conclusion, it was because he had served time with Stevie, and it was my understanding that Stevie Sr., not the son, had served time with Mr. Detello between 2001 and 2006. Now, at one point he talks about that. You said it yourself. His partner stole money from him or turned state, became a witness against him, and he was complaining that he lost $200,000 or something to that effect. Are you aware of that? Based on this meeting, yes, but not before the meeting. Okay. And when he talked about he needed, there was payroll that he had to take care of, and he borrowed $100,000 for that payroll. Were you aware of that before, or did you learn that at this time? I've learned that during the meeting. Okay. And it was your understanding that that loan would have some time in 2000, 2001, from surrounding the time he had gone to prison. It related to that event. Yes. And it was your understanding that that loan of $100,000 to make payroll was loaned to him by my client, Steve Korea? Yes. And during the course of the discussions in this particular tape, he was complaining, for want of a better phrase, that he had to pay that back, that loan, correct? Well, he complained that Mr. Stevie, while he was on the can, referring to prison, was angry with Mr. Detello, and at some point Mr. Detello says, Hey Stevie, if he makes you feel any better, I will pay the money back to you when I get out. That's the promise to pay back the money that had been loaned sometime before that, is that correct? The $200,000, yes. Okay, so when you're seeing him in 2014, and when he gets out of prison in 2006, assuming he doesn't make any payments while he's in a prison, that's still an eight-year period of time, correct? Sorry, you have to say a verbal response for the reporter. I'm sorry, yes. And he was telling you in August of 2014 that he had not yet paid off that complete loan. Is that your understanding? That is my understanding. Now... And then at some later point in the discussion, he describes having another loan for $100,000. Is that right? No. I, uh, I think it was during the same time. So the way I understood during the conversation, he borrowed $200,000. One was to make payroll one time, and another $100,000 to make payroll the second time. And then when the money was requested is when his partner run with the money. He robbed him, like he said, and resulting to his conviction in addition to other members of the family. Shannon, can you put up page 31 of the transcript? Can you put two pages up as well? The second page next to it. Only one? If you could, 32. It goes into the second page. Line 844, which is Detello. Do you have the transcript in front of you? 844? Oh, where he says Detello? The court. I think the witness is not on the same page. Oh, you are? The witness. 844. The court. 
You also have a screen on the counter in front of you. The witness. Oh. By Mr. Franklin. Whichever works better for you. It's line 844 where it says Ditello. So now I tell him, listen, Stevie, if it makes it any better for you, I'll pay back the money that the guy took from us. That section, that's what you were just referring to. That's when they were in prison. He said, I'll pay you back. Yes, yeah, so my understanding is that Mr. Ditello, prior to going to prison because his partner turned FBI informant, had borrowed money from Westside Gang and Stevie. So the money that he was referring to, it was the money that Mr. Ditello had borrowed from those two sources. Then it goes on to say, and I gave my word. I gave my word. That's past tense. He's talking about something. The promise that he made sometime before August of 2014. Did you understand it that way? So, right. So he, Mr. Ditello, is speaking to us and he's saying that I gave my word that I would pay the money back to Mr. Stevie. Alright, fine. But then, when he says, and I gave you my word that I would pay that money back, he's talking to you about a promise he made while he was in prison. It was your understanding? Yes. Okay. And then the next line from Mr. Ditello, which I guess is 852, you see the word, then when I come home? Uh-huh. Did you understand that to mean when he got out of prison, 2006, or sometime thereafter? Yes, sir. That's my understanding. And then he says, the west side comes to me. There was another 100000 So that was a second loan? It appears to be another loan, or was part of the total loan that he owed. During the course of your meeting with him, he was telling you about debts he had, and he was saying, I owe $200,000. What I'm trying to understand is if it's to one single individual, or it's 100 to one person, or 100 to somebody else. Right. So the total of 100 for each, that would be 200. That would be consistent with him saying, I owe this money to different people. So I've only met Mr. Ditello. This was my second time. I wasn't running numbers in my head when he was talking about his different loans. What I was able to get from this conversation is that he owed a sum of money to Mr. Stevie and based on the recording, the West Side Gang. And what I'm getting at, sir... I'm sorry, did you finish? And I didn't bother to contemplate whether or not his match was correct while he was giving me those numbers. I understand. At the time you were meeting him as an undercover, setting up a drug deal or cigarettes, and I understand this was secondary to it. But this is what I wanted to try to straighten out. So from what we see here, there was an indebtedness for $100,000 sometime early 2000. He promises to pay it while he's in prison. So that was from Mr. Crea. Is that your understanding of one part of it? My understanding is he definitely owed money to his friend Crea. Okay. And then the other thing, this West Side was another 100000 Yes. Now when he said West Side, what did you understand that to mean? Another criminal organization. Somebody from another gang. And did you have any further information about that, other than you assumed it was some kind of illegal enterprise that loaned him money? No, I did not. Okay. Now, if we pull up page 17... Oh, great, that's quick. On page 17, actually the third line down, 447, when he said to you, when I was a millionaire, you see that? Yes, sir. At the time of this, when this tape is being made and this meeting is happening, do you remember him saying, when I was a millionaire? Yes. Did you believe him that he was a millionaire at some point in time? Objection, your honor. Sustained. Well, is it important for you to determine if the person is telling you the truth or not? Asked and answered. You know what? I'll allow it. Did you know whether or not he was a millionaire at one point in time? No, ma'am, I did not. There you go. Did you think he might be boasting that I was a millionaire, exaggerating what he might actually have earned at that time? So I didn't even contemplate that because that wasn't my job to do so. Also, on that same page, just down at 461, where he says, But now, it's things that changed. 
and now they know I'm broke. Did you believe him when he said I'm broke? It was a fair assessment to make that he didn't have resources based on the way he lived, based on the way he lived because I was in his home. I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear that myself. I said, yes, it was a fair assumption for me to believe that he was broke. Reason is, I went into his home. I saw how he lived. Therefore, I know he didn't live in a mansion. He wasn't a wealthy guy. That's what I was just getting about. You said the first time you met him, Mr. Spinelli took you to his home and you met him in his home. Yes. Can you describe the house, where it was, how big it is? Objection. Well, this is a good time to break for the weekend. Your Honor, can we have a quick sidebar before we release the jury? Okay. Do you have a lot more, Mr. Franklinov? I'm actually going to get into some of the instances. Half an hour, half an hour, maybe more. I think the government was hoping to get this agent off today. Not that close. Okay, I'll just note for the record, there was an objection to the government's direct examination about the witness testifying to things that are clearly in the record. A lot of what Mr. Franklin is doing here is saying things that are clearly in the record. Appears to be not the most judicious use of the jury's time. Of course, if Mr. Franklin's questions, that's fine. But just ask the witness to recite what's in the transcript, what we did on direct. Jury present in the courtroom. The court. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all had a pleasant weekend. We are going to resume with Mr. Franklin's cross-examination of Agent Pappas. Agent, you are still under oath. Yes, ma'am. May I inquire? Yes. Pete Pappas, having been previously duly sworn, was examined and testified as follows. Cross-examination by Mr. Franklin. Agent, on Friday you were asked questions about what your role was in this investigation, and more specifically about the meeting of August 18th, 2014, where there was a tape and there was a transcript that you had testified about. Do you recall that? Yes, sir. Yeah, and you were asked, actually you were asked questions by Miss Rothman on direct, Mr. Marangolo, and even the judge had asked you what your role was. And you recalled that you said that you were in person support that you weren't involved in preparing the informant for what would happen at that meeting on August 18th. Do you recall that? Yes, sir. Okay, now before the meeting of August 18th, you would actually, you said you met with Mr. Detello at his home on August 14th, is that correct? Correct. Okay, and at that time you had a recording device, and the informant, Mr. Spinelli, also had a recording device? That is my understanding, yes. Okay. And, and you met with him for a period of time, and then after that meeting you were actually going to another meeting to Mr. Vaughn with Mr. Spinelli as well. Isn't that true? I don't recall the date, but yes, there was a time where, when I met with Mr. Detello and then we went to see Mr. Vaughn. And Mr. Detello was in Staten Island and Mr. Vaughn was in New Jersey. Do you recall that? Correct. And you actually write reports after you have these different meetings, and it indicates what you did and you summarize it. Is that true? Correct. And when you left Mr. Detello, you... Had you come together in a car, you and Mr. Spinelli, the informant? Yes. Okay. And as you were driving from Mr. Detello's house, did you say to Mr. Spinelli, the informant... So you see, a lot of times, you know, when we do this type of stuff, it's very much like playing chess, right? So you're looking to... You see any... You call that planting a seed. Is that in the future? Three, four, five moves from now? That seed may grow into something else. Do you recall saying that to him? I don't recall saying that. Do you know that a tape recording was, in fact, made and provided to all defense counsel by the prosecution in this matter by, apparently, from Mr. Spinelli's tape recorder? Uh-huh, yes. So you may not recall the exact words. Do you recall saying, in some or substance, something about that you, 
This is like playing chess and you plan the moves three, four, five moves later. Do you recall something like that? Sir, I, I don't recall, but it's not unlikely that I've said something like that or I alluded to something like that. And did you also, at one point, do you recall if you actually made a telephone call to Agent Otto, who you had indicated previously was the case agent on the case, and you would give him information about what you were doing? Do you recall doing that? There were times after meetings that I reached out to the case agent which handled the case, correct? And specifically on this date, on August 14th, 2014, with you and the informant in the car, did you speak with Agent Otto, telling him about the meeting that you had just had with Mr. Ditello? I don't remember. Likely, but I cannot say for sure. And do you recall speaking with Agent Otto and Mr. Spinelli in the car, in which you said, So if we can get him to facilitate something where he can implicate some guys here, that would be good. Do you remember saying that? Sir, it's been like four or five years. I don't recall that. And do you also, it's something of course that I could have said. That is something that you could have said? Yes. Okay, that wouldn't shock your conscience. Did you would have said something like that? I know during the course of this investigation, in my undercover capacity, I did speak to the case agent, and from time to time we did talk about the case and how to move forward. So yes, absolutely. And you were suggesting ways in which you could move forward, isn't that true? Suggesting, looking for the next logical investigative step maybe, yes. And that's why Mr. Spinelli was in the car with you, the informant? That was not the reason that he was in the car with me. Oh no, I understand that. But he would have, whatever you're saying to Agent Otto, he's sitting right there. He will hear it as well? In rare situations, maybe, but for the most part, those conversations between myself as an undercover and special agents were done privately, not in front of Mr. Spinelli. And do you recall at that same time in that telephone conversation, as you were driving away from Mr. Ditello's house, you said to, while Mr. Spinelli was there, I think he's willing and able. We just got to figure out how we're going to do it. Now, we did mention about coke, but he says he doesn't want to get involved with that stuff. Too dangerous, whatever. Do you recall making that statement at that time? Sir, as I've stated before, no, I'm not. I don't have a good recollection of what transpired between the time I got into the car with Mr. Spinelli until we got to our next meeting. Your Honor, may we have a brief sidebar? I think it's necessary at this point. Okay. Thank you. Rather than playing it to refresh his recollection, it might be better to have... To have just the sequence. We won't waste time. I'm sorry, you were trying to refresh his recollection as to... Statements that he made. We prepared a transcript. It's from those conversations off the tape he has. And what... Or we could play it for him. Just him. And then either his recollection is refreshed or it's not. I suspect it would be since he had said it's not out of the ordinary for him to say one of these things is quoted here. First is, the witness's words on the recordings are not being offered for the truth. We have instructed the jury that those are, his statements and Mr. Spinelli's statements are not offered for the truth. What the defense is trying to do here is generally impeach the investigation. Again, I believe by suggesting things that were said as part of their investigative steps, I think that's a reason to object to this line of cross-examination. Of course, I don't understand why the defense is going to be pointing out these statements. Again, they are not offered for the truth. Again, the only purpose is to impeach, and unless they can prove there's something improper, which they haven't done yet. So, what I've heard so far is that the agents said, either to Spinelli or Otto, that it's like playing chess. What's the relevance of that? The purpose of it is to, he said, a lot of times, you know, it's very much like playing chess. He said, so you're looking to, you call that planting a seed. What does that mean? Is that in the future, three, four times from now, that seed may grow into something else? He was preparing Spinelli. That's why I'm offering it. Nothing about this. Well, I heard him say a contradiction about, 
Does he say it to Spinelli or does he say it to Otto? He says they were both in the car. They were driving to the meeting with the Tello. There's a portion of it where he talks to Otto himself, and then there is. He said after Otto spoke to Spinelli. Spinelli is there, he said, last Friday, Your Honor. They were preparing him. Yeah, I mean, that's not what happened here. He's offering the direction, directing him. I don't know if what he said in the car is preparing him, but it's fine. You can... What I will suggest is, if you have a transcript that says that, you can show him the transcript and see if it refreshes his recollection. Okay. Then I assume they are prepared to have the equipment to play the recording for him? If we have to. I'm not going to send a jury in and out. I will show him the transcript. They have a copy for him. You gave it to the court? Okay. This is for you. Your Honor, may I approach the witness? Yes. Sir, I'm going to ask you to look at a transcript. I'm going to hand you a copy of the transcript. I would like you to take a look at it. I have tabs numbers 1, 2, and 3, which is the order of the quotes that I read to you, to see if this refreshes your recollection as to whether you actually made these statements at this time. Absolutely. Thank you. I have them highlighted, and then certainly it's, it's the whole transcript, however. You can read the whole thing if you wish. Thank you. Did you have a chance to look at that? Yes, sir. After reading that, does that refresh your recollection that those are the words that you said at that time? It appears that I made those statements, yes. Okay, and I read them accurately to you? Yes, sir, you have. Very good. So, the question that I have for you, when you testified on Friday that you were only in a supporting role, by several different attorneys and the judge herself asking about that, and if you were involved in the preparation of Mr. Spinelli for the meeting on the 18th, what you told her wasn't really accurate, was it? I was completely accurate. My role was supporting. It was a supporting role to the overall case. My involvement was pretty limited. And with the exception of driving from one meeting to another meeting, something that didn't take place often, if at all, there was no other planning. But you were the one that was strategizing as to how you would approach and how Mr. Spinelli and the two of you would approach Mr. Detello in four days on the 18th, when you were going to be meeting him for dinner. Isn't that true? Sir, I recall that conversation, not so much strategizing. As an FBI agent, especially in an undercover capacity, when we are conducting an operation, we gotta have a plan, and I was communicating maybe some of that plan with Mr. Spinelli. You were the one coming up with that plan, isn't that true? You said that reference to chess and making moves. You were planning on doing this for a period of time, isn't that true? Sir, again, it was more chatting other than, you know, and less planning. The planning in the operation is something that falls on the case agents and not on the undercover. So when you said you wanted to plant a seed, you were talking about trying to put an idea into Mr. Detello's head. Is that a fair interpretation of that? Correct. And what seed were you trying to plant in Mr. Detello's head at that time, for the meeting in a few days thereafter? Based on the transcript that you just showed me, I was probably referring to the drug deal that we were about to make. And you had also said that when you did mention about cocaine or importing cocaine or whatever words you actually used at the meeting at his house on August 14th, that he didn't want to get involved in that. Isn't that true? There were times that Mr. Detello said he didn't want to get involved, and during the same conversation or meeting, he took it upon himself to make arrangements and mention buy a key from somebody he knew and about a month prior to my meeting had done business with. So after meeting him the first time, when you're in the car heading to another meeting with the informant, you knew that he didn't want to get involved with cocaine, but you were trying to. So you figured, well, let me see if we can get him to implicate somebody else to facilitate that sort of thing. That was the plan you came up with. Isn't that true? No, sir. It's not that he didn't want to get involved. 
He said he didn't want to get involved. But based on the knowledge I had about Mr. Detello, the case, and like you said last time on Friday, our ability to assess someone, someone's intent, I knew that Mr. Detello had engaged in the sale of drugs a month prior to my meeting. And whatever he was saying, maybe he was saying because he wasn't really comfortable with me. And when you said, so if we can get him to facilitate something where he can implicate some guys here, that would be good. That was going to be your plan going forward and specifically for the meeting of August 18th? If this is my conversation or the statement that I made to Mr. Otto, it was because it was more like guidance and less, you know, planning or putting a seed. I'm sorry, you said more like gun? So it was... The court. More like guidance. Oh, I I'm sorry, I misheard you. But the guidance you were giving to Mr. Spinelli, the informant who was in the car with you, isn't that true? Could you repeat that? I I'm sorry. If you're saying that this statement of yours, so if we can get him to facilitate something where he can implicate some guys here, that would be good. That was said to Agent Otto while the informant was sitting in the car with you. Isn't that true? Yes. Now, going back just briefly to the meeting, the first meeting, which happened a few minutes, half an hour, whatever it is, before you actually made these statements in the car, that's a meeting you had with Mr. Detello at his home in Staten Island, correct? Correct. Okay, now, at that meeting, you had already been introduced to Mr. Detello by the way of Mr. Spinelli talking about you for some period of time before and then, that particular meeting. There were words to the effect, oh, he's in town, you can meet him now, something like that. Isn't that correct? Yes. And you've told us that in the course of this undercover operation, and specifically with Mr. Detello, that you were playing a character, is that right? I was, yes. And you were lying to him about this pretend character that you were, correct? I was. I was doing my role, absolutely. Okay, but the things you were telling him were not truthful because it was a pretend character. It did not exist. This person who you were playing, pretending to be? Yes, it was an undercover operation, yes. And you told him that you were in the trucking business, and the number of trucks you had, and one was a van and one was an 18-wheeler, things of that nature, so that he would believe the script, the story you were telling him. Isn't that true? Absolutely. And you were trying to impress him that you were someone who could be able to do something with him of a criminal nature. Isn't that true? I was trying to convey to him that I was who Mr. Spinelli had portrayed me to be, a street guy who had access to a trucking business of the network, yes. And you were trying to convince him to do business with you of a nature with drugs, even though you were initially introduced to him as a potential cigarette, untaxed cigarette supplier. I was trying to do what? Let me just break it down. I just... Was it your understanding that Mr. Spinelli had introduced you, or had told Mr. Detello about you for some period of time, that you were a person who could give him or sell to him untaxed cigarettes? So I'm not exactly sure what Mr. Spinelli had told Detello and others. My understanding was that Mr. Spinelli used me as someone to, I guess, defend where his resources and his money were coming from. When I met Mr. Detello, it was nothing more than an introduction between Mr. Spinelli and Detello, saying that, hey, this is the guy who feeds me. This is the guy who puts bread on my table. During that conversation, I only told Mr. Detello that I am somebody from our state who has his own business and was looking to expand to New York. Mr. Detello did the rest. So when you first met with him in person on August 14th at his home, do you recall that the conversation was about cigarettes, untaxed cigarettes? That's what he was talking to you about. He being Mr. Detello? Very first meeting. Highly likely, yes. I don't... And then at some point in that meeting, you suggested to him, in some fashion, that you could also move around cocaine. There could be some sort of a drug deal. Isn't that right? Highly likely, absolutely. 
And from the conversation that you had in the car that we've already talked about, he told you, I don't want to do cocaine things. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. Words to that effect. Isn't that right? He did allude to that, yes. Now, also during the meeting, he was talking to you about who he was. You were telling him a story about who your pretend character was, and he was telling you about who he supposedly was, correct? Correct. Do you recall at one portion of that conversation, and you may have actually even been outside, where he's pointing across the street or in the general area where he lived, and he says, oh, there's a lot that I want to buy it. I'm going to build a two-story building. I'm going to put my house at the top and a restaurant on the bottom. It's going to cost me $4 million. Do you recall that? I don't recall that very specific conversation, but I've heard Mr. Detello making statements for future plans, absolutely. Okay, and do you also recall there was a conversation that you had during this August 14th when he suggested to you, when you said that you're Greek ancestry and you bring things from Greece, you should start an import-slash-export business in Greece. Do you remember that? I'm not too clear the 814 conversation. I haven't read recently those transcripts, but it is likely... Yeah, and he also said to you that he had warehouse connections. He was trying to show you that he was an important person, someone you could work with. Isn't that true? Correct. He was trying to impress you, just as you were trying to impress him? I guess so, yes. Now, let's go to the transcript from the August 18th meeting, which we've touched on previously. During that meeting, was there also the same dynamic, where you're trying to impress him about what you can do for him, and he's trying to impress you as to what he can do for you? That's still going on, on the second meeting, isn't that true? I guess so. But there wasn't any real effort to try to impress him or vice versa. It was a casual meeting at the diner where we exchanged a couple. We just exchanged, I guess, some of the things that we could potentially do in the future. Alright, well, let me get some specifics here so you don't have to just run from your memory. Do you have the transcript? It's Exhibit 702AT, page 11. Agent, you can actually see it from here, or you can have one in front of you. Yes, sir, I do. If it's easier. Uh-huh. What I want to draw your attention to is, well, at the middle, line 294, where Mr. Detello is telling you he's not afraid. Mm-hmm. Do you see that line? Yes, sir. And then at the bottom, on page, on the same page, line 304, where he says, an abandoned train station, downstairs abandoned. I walked down there and he was there. He tells you a story about how someone, some mob boss, he could kill him, but he doesn't. Do you recall him saying that? And do you see that here? And it actually goes on to page 12 as well. If we could, Shannon, you already have it. Thanks. Yes, sir. Do you remember that? So he was trying to impress you that he was... He had no fear. Even if someone is going to try to hurt him, he has no fear. He's a stand-up guy. He could help you out. Object. Objection, your honor. Sustained. Now you responded to, on line 317, he says, I'm not afraid to go. And the UCE, that's you, correct? Yes. And it says balls of... And we don't hear the rest. Do you recall what the rest of that phrase was? You said balls of... No, sir. Fear, balls of stone, what? It can be anything. It was four or five years ago. Well, were you confirming to him that, yeah, you're a tough guy, I believe you, or words to that effect? Yeah, everything after balls of, yeah, it would indicate that. Okay, and a little further along on page, page 28, line 753, where he said, I had over two, two and a half million dollars in the bank. Uh-huh. In the bank. And you responded, that's big. Mm-hmm. Was he telling you that to impress you with who he was and how important he was? Objection, your honor. Yes, sustained to what was in another party's head. What was your understanding? How did you take it when he said that to you? What did it mean to you? 
Objection. Your Honor, relevance overruled. So he was making conversation. He wanted to, to, to convey to me that he was a big tough guy who at one time he was very successful in what he did as part of his involvement with the Enterprise. But then after that, he was also telling you that he's broke, correct? Yes. Yes, sir. And you knew that. You had said on a Friday that he was on Social Security getting, I don't know, twelve, sixteen hundred dollars $1,600 a month. He was telling you he was selling untaxed cigarettes and that's how he's making his living? Yes, sir. Which is dramatically different from the $2.5 million he's talking about from before. Is that true? Correct, yes. And did you understand that he was telling you that he was broke or he had financial problems so that you could facilitate or move forward the sale of cigarettes to him? Objection, Your Honor. Sustained. Well, well, yeah. I mean, you can't ask him to say what was in someone else's head just by saying, Did you understand? You can point out what was actually said, and if it's ambiguous, then the witness's understanding becomes irrelevant. Sure. Can we go to page 39, please? And starting on line 1060. Mr. Detello mentions something about two weeks not going to have cigarettes, and then when Mr. Spinelli says, We can live within the two weeks, yeah, I have the hundreds now. What did you understand the hundreds to mean? It was cigarettes. It was a type of cigarette. It was a hundred as to opposed to the regulars. That's the length of the cigarette? Yes. And then down on line 1072, which is you speaking, you say, Hey, listen, I'll make a couple of phone calls to see if we could expedite it. Mm-hmm. You said that, right? Yes, sir. So you said that because you knew he was pushing you to try to do this more quickly. Isn't that true? I said it because it's the common sense business thing to do, to provide the customer with the product that they need at the earliest convenience. I was portraying the businessman, and as a good businessman, I need to provide the product so I can make my money. Over the next few months in dealing with Mr. Detello, you, you gave him some gifts, isn't that true? Yes. One of them was a Johnny Walker Blue Label. It's a fancy whiskey, correct? Yes, sir. And at one point when he was, he had earned some money. I think it was about $2,000 you suggested. Here, I can give you a Rolex watch instead of the $2,000 because the Rolex watch is worth dramatically more. Do you remember that? Yes, sir. And he took the Rolex watch? He did. And these were ways for you to move him along in the plan that you had for what you wanted him to do for you. Isn't that true? I portrayed a street guy who engaged in drug smuggling and fencing stolen goods, so I gave him an option to choose whatever he wanted to do. It wasn't part of the plan. It was part of my role. Well, your role is a pretender role, isn't that true? Objection. I'll allow it. It is a pretender role, yes. Now, after the meeting, well, withdrawn. During that meeting, he makes mention of debts that he owes to different people. We talked about it a bit on a Friday, correct? Yes, sir. But I think we agree that he said he owed 100000 to Steve Korea and 50000 to some other criminal organization that you mentioned, correct? Correct. And he said he was paying 5000 a month off those debts, correct? He, he told me that he had to pay 5000 a month per month to satisfy the debt. Okay, and the debt supposedly from Mr. Crea was from approximately 2000 And there was discussion when they were both in prison. Do you recall that? Yes, sir. And then the debt. So as of August of 2014, that would have been approximately 14-year-old uh, debt. Is that right? Correct. And then this $50,000 debt to this West Side gang. He said that occurred sometime after he got out. We've determined that was approximately 2006. It was my understanding that he had borrowed money from two different sources. One source was Mr. Steve. The other source was the New York gang. Okay, and the New York. And that debt was also a fairly old debt. If it's from 2006, that would be approximately eight years as well. 
Correct. So these were both old debts as far as he was telling you? Yes, sir. Now, you worked with him and you had contact with him. I think you had said 40 to 50 times either in person or on the phone. Do you recall testifying to that? Yes, sir. And for how long a period of time, if you're starting in August of 2014, when was the last time you dealt with Mr. Detello? What date or year, if you can recall? I think it was sometime in 2016, maybe early 17, the latest. And isn't it true that literally throughout the time you're dealing with him, he's always complaining that he has these debts of 100000 or 50000 He combines them and he says 150000 Isn't that true? He always brought up the fact that he owes money to people, yeah. And the numbers never go down. It's always the 150, correct? I never did the math. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. No, I didn't do. I never did the math for Mr. Detello. I know that he owed some money. I know that he had to go pay it based on what he told me. And I know that there were several times when he made the payment. He made that known to us. Did you ever observe him making any payment to anyone other than your drug deal that you were working with him? No, I have not observed Mr. Detello making a payment to anyone. So, when you just said he made payments, that's just what he told you? Correct. Okay, now if you, the reports that you write, let me draw your attention to one of them. It's 356620. You had a meeting with him on January 15, 2015. Objection, reading from the report. Yeah, I mean, just ask questions about what happened. Don't. Okay. Ask what he wrote down. Okay. Do you recall having a meeting with him on January 15th, 2015, or at some point in January? Yes, sir. You were seeing him on a fairly regular basis in the first few months, isn't that true? Correct, yes. And did he tell you at the meeting on January 15th that he has to make a $5,000 payment every month, then he owes $150,000? Yes, it's something he could have said. So, from August 18th or the 14th, when you start dealing with him until January 15th is five months. So, in that five months, he's made no payments and the amount is still 150000 on what he's telling you. Isn't that true? Yes, I don't know about the balance of his loan. He always brought up the money that he owed to his friend, Stevie. And beyond that, he never gave me an update as to what the balance is. Well, he keeps telling you it's 150, and he's paying 5000 a month, correct? You just said that. He told me that he wanted to make those payments because he has to make those payments. And it was at least one or two instances where I can recall where he advised that he made a payment. So if anything else, I can say that his loan should be decreased at least by $5,000 because I am aware of at least one payment. So these supposed loans, you were never able to verify if they really existed. Isn't that true? Absolutely, you're right. You had no way to corroborate if any of these, the first loan or the second loan or any of it, was true at all. You have no way of knowing that. You're right, I did not. And the only information you're getting in your opinion as to that he has this is based upon what he tells you? Everything I am saying right here today is based on what Mr. Detello told me. And he's telling you that there is two loans, 150, and there's some mob connection to it, or some organized crime connection of eight years, 14 years, and yet you saw no signs of anything physical reprisals against him. Isn't that true? Was he ever beaten up? That's what I'm getting at. Oh, I didn't see him coming to a meeting with a black eye, if that's what you mean, yeah. And he never told you that. Oh, I missed a payment. They beat me up. Nothing like that, correct? So he never mentioned about getting beat up. He did mention about Mr. Michael Meldish missing a payment and getting clipped. That's not him, though, correct? What do you mean, that's not him? Mr. Meldish is not Mr. Detello. He's telling you a story about somebody else? Right. 
so he didn't tell about getting beat up or anything, but he did express a concern with the fate of someone else who owed money to the same friends. Now, did you ever see Joe Detello meet with my client, Steve Korea? I have not. Were you ever with Mr. Detello when he made a phone call to my client, Steve Korea? I saw Mr. Detello making phone calls, but I would have no idea who he, you know, who he called. And in the 40 or 50 times that you were with Mr. Detello, did you ever, or were you ever present when he received a phone call from my client, Steve Korea? I saw Mr. Detello receiving phone calls, but again, I wouldn't know who would be on the other line. Thank you. I have no further questions.